You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. So we are in week four right now of a series called Soul Work, where we are looking at different spiritual practices, different spiritual disciplines uh, that we actually can put into practice to experience real and lasting stability in this world that seems so fractured and fragile right now. And up until this point, this is actually kind of a little bit of a shift this week, but up until this point, every single one of the disciplines that we have talked about have been kind of these internal, private, like nobody else sees them kind of disciplines, right? So week one, we talked about meditation. Week two, we talked about fasting. And some of us tried fasting for the first time. And then last week, we talked about prayer. But today is different. It's a shift because today is not actually a personal practice or discipline. It's a communal one. It's a corporate one. It's one we actually practice together. And so as we begin this morning, I want to just offer kind of a cultural observation to you. One of the things that I've observed recently, and and this has been kind of ramping up more and more over the last, I would say, 10 years or so, is that our primary community is not being formed in real flesh and blood relationships, but it actually is being formed way more strongly based on our tribes on social media online. In fact, I want to read something to you from an author, a Christian artist named Jackie Hill Perry. This is what she says. This is a couple paragraphs long, but I just want you to consider this as we dive in today. This is what she says. The amount of social pressure to add commentary to every current event is really interesting. To me, sometimes it seems that certain hot takes are less about the event itself and more about how one's response to said event categorizes them. So they become a social media post, becomes a tribal marker, a gang sign, an anthem for which side you represent. Not only that, but these social pressures create an environment of performance and virtue signaling. A post becomes a tap dance, an act, and a stage play attended by hundreds of strangers. Keep dancing, and they'll applaud. But what's happening to us is that we think making a post is is a sufficient means of changing the world and the place to be affirmed by people who don't even know our middle names. Meanwhile, we're just talking and not really doing much of anything. But what if the first place we went to with our celebration and our outrage Our joy and our grief was to an embodied community made up of flesh and blood. People we know. People we can touch and hug and pray or protest with. What if our words stayed at home first, a place where nuance, thoughtfulness, and the wisdom of being part of a real in-person community can shape us? You know, if you don't agree with me, I'm blank. Just unfriend me now. How many of us have seen this? Just in general, if you don't agree with me on pineapple on pizza, just unfriend me now, right? Like just, I don't want anything to do with your life because our primary community right now in our world, and Christians are just as guilty of this, is not being formed around the person of Jesus. It is being formed around our tribe, around our agenda, around those who share the same opinions as us. 
And so this means that our identity, our sense of self, our sense of self-worth, our values, our purpose in the world, our even guidance in the way that we hear from God is not being formed as much by in-person embodied community, but by strangers that we barely know online. And this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, when you live in a world where four, five, six, seven months of school and work and church and everything went virtual and all of our lives went online, that process was exacerbated significantly over the last couple of years. And then you add in national crisis after national crisis, conversation after conversation. This makes sense. And yet, when I look at this church, When I look at this community, I have hope for what the church can be. I have hope for what the community can be. Because the problem with forming our primary community uh, based on our tribal identities and our political agendas or our social preferences or whatever it might be, the problem is that when when we form our primary identity on anything other than Jesus, and then we bring that baggage into a Jesus community, it causes all sorts of messy stuff. It causes all sorts of division and disunity. It causes us to actually limit the way in which we can hear the voice of God in our lives and to discern his will. But when I look at the faces in this community, in this room, our church family online, I have hope. I have hope because I see a group of people that is endeavoring to be a Jesus community who understands that we actually can see God way more at work when we are together than when we are in isolation. We actually have a more clear picture of how God is working and speaking and moving when we are in community than when we are in isolation. In fact, Jesus made this promise to his followers. In Matthew 18, he's speaking to his disciples, and and this is what he says to his disciples in verse 19 and 20. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. See, he taught with persistence throughout his ministry that if we actually gather in his name, that if we build community around him, we have the ability to hear the voice of God in a different way than we do when we are separate. That we have a different ability to discern his will for our lives, to move through this world with the love and compassion that only comes from Jesus. Like Jesus' promise is that the Holy Spirit would be used as kind of a check and balance that when the Holy Spirit speaks to one person in one way and another person in, in, in the same way, that there is something that powerfully happens when those two people come together in community, that God's presence is somehow working powerfully among them. But I want you to think about who Jesus was saying this to. Like the very makeup of the community that he brought together were people from as different of tribes as they could have possibly been. He had Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector in the exact same group. And if you know anything about Jewish culture living in the Roman Empire, the Zealots wanted to violently overthrow the Roman government, and the tax collectors were Jewish people who were in cahoots colluding with the Roman government. I mean, this is like somebody from QAnon and Black Lives Matter in the same exact small group as each other. It is a recipe for cultural disaster. And yet Jesus chose 
to bring them together under his name and his authority. Why? Because the church is a unique place where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. The church is the community where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. It is a place where all of our banners fall down at the throne of Jesus Christ, where all of the things that we bring to the table fall down at the throne of Jesus Christ. If you want to hear God's voice and pursue his will in your individual life, it begins with how you are participating in the life of this community. Like, if you want to hear God's will, voice, if you want to hear God's will, if you want to live into his will, it begins with where you are participating in this community. One pastor said it this way, you cannot listen, if you cannot listen to your brother, you cannot hear the Holy Spirit. If you cannot listen to your brother or sister, you cannot listen to the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do this morning is walk us through what I believe is one of the most powerful scriptures on the church and the life of the church and what it should look like lived out and embodied in flesh and blood that there is in scripture. It is such a compelling, I mean, like even just reading this this past week, I was pierced to the core with conviction about what type of the community the church needs to be in the world that we are living in right now. I mean, just like you ever have that where you just like read, it's like, ah, that was for me. It just pierced me to the heart. Like, I need to share this. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Romans chapter 12. Paul is writing to Roman churches. So keep that in mind. He is writing to the church, okay? And this is what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want you to pause for a second there. I don't want to read into verse 2 just yet. Paul begins this by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What is it? Therefore, therefore right? Like we, we ask this when we see the word therefore in scripture. What Paul is referencing when he says therefore is he's referencing everything that he had just written in the book of Romans up until this point. And you know what he had navigated in the book of Romans is he has presented clearly in one of the most compelling places that we have in Scripture, the story of the gospel. Like what the Father has done through Christ and what Christ has done in the church and the difference that it makes in our relationships with each other, the ways it brings different factions of society together under the banner of Jesus, the way Jews and Gentiles and all of these different people come together and find their identity not in their tribal, their tribe, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He has laid the groundwork for like nine chapters doing this. And it's in that spirit he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, plural, your body and your body and your body and your body as a living sacrifice, singular. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. And then he goes on. And he says this, don't be conformed to this world. Like, don't live like everybody else in Wayland is living. Don't live like America or the right or the left. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. 
Don't be conformed to the age that we live in that is seductively whispering that it's easier and better to do it this way or that way than the way Jesus insists. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, there is no better place to figure out what the will of God is than in the community of the body of Christ, the family of Jesus, the church. Why? Because the church is the community where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. Paul refers to the church as a family, right? He's saying brothers, sisters. Like we, as the body of Christ, are a family first and foremost. You know how Jesus defined his family? He says his family in Mark 4 are those who do the will of his father. So there is something intrinsically tied to doing the will of God, discovering the will of God, living into the will of God, and being part of the church, the community, the body of Christ. Like these two things are not separated. And so the, the spiritual practice that we're really looking at today is one called guidance. And it's this idea that we way better experience and live out the will of God in community with each other than we do in isolation on our own. You see, Paul, when he uses language like, my brothers, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, moving from the communal to the singular, the end result is the family of the church that has the ability in community to understand, discern, and live out God's will in this world because the church is the community where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't even like my family. That's a horrible metaphor, Paul. <laughs> like, I don't talk to my siblings, right? Like, maybe, maybe that's you. And, and so you're like, that's a bad analogy, Paul. And so Paul's like, okay, cool. Maybe that is a bad analogy. I'm going to take it one step further. So in the same chapter, reading on a couple verses later, he doesn't just call the church a family. He gets even more intimately involved, and he calls the church a body. One body. Verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. One body. What is so beautiful about the way Paul describes the church here is that we are not called to just get in line and look identical to each other. He's not after uniformity. He's after one body one body that is willing to sacrifice the preferences and the agendas of the smaller parts for the person of Jesus who is our agenda as the church. One body that it's in our differences, 
It's in our different talents. It's in our different backgrounds. It's in our different preferences and abilities and even values where those are all laid down and the world can see something so powerful because we have laid those things down and truly come together under the only one who is worth building true community on and that is the person of Jesus Christ and it is a powerful witness to a watching world when we make the choice to do just that. I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> you see, God placed things in you that you don't have the ability to see in yourself. And you need me to call those out of you. And God placed things in me that I can't see in myself. And I need you to call those out in me. And God placed things in each other that you will never be able to see on your own, but you need the body, the family of the church to call those things out, to bring those things out in each other. You have talents and passions and gifts and abilities, and the church is the place where you can come alive in expressing those and living those out. Why? Because the church is the community where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. One body many parts. I love the way author Diedrich Bonhoeffer summarizes this. He says it this way, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another, holy and for all eternity. What is he saying? We're stuck with each other. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Because of Jesus, we're stuck with each other. You know, the other day, I was, uh, I was walking through my neighborhood. I live on, you know, dirt country roads, and so our, our houses are pretty spread out from each other. And so there was a neighbor that I hadn't met yet, and him and his wife were outside, and we just struck up a conversation, and we began talking and uh, I could tell from the signs in his yard that he had a professed faith in Jesus. Um, and so we just started talking about faith. I, I hadn't told him kind of what I do for a living or anything like that. But then he went into this thing about how, like, um, you know, he, he hasn't been to church in about three years. I said, oh, really, why? Mind you, he doesn't know what I do yet at this point. He goes, pastors these days are just so wishy-washy. <laughs> and I said, oh, Really? Like, can you, like, I want to know more. Can you tell me more? And you know what he proceeded to say? He proceeded to go after how pastors don't fit his cultural agenda, his political agenda, his tribal agenda, and therefore, in his mind, pastors are wishy-washy. And then I told him what he did, and he walked in his house and, and laughed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, it, but his general idea, and I'm not trying to vandalize him, but his general idea was I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. That's what he was getting after. Can I tell you, every time I hear, like I hear that so often, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. And I would say a couple things. Number one, there is no place in this book where you will ever find that sentiment anywhere. I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. But then whenever I hear people say that, I... I immediately get the picture of this in my head right here. The detached hand from the Adams family. I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. 
This hand gave me nightmares as a child, just kind of floating around and crawling around. But that's exactly like, if you actually take this metaphor seriously, when you hear somebody say this, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church, this is what I picture. Just a detached, embodied, really creepy hand that doesn't have all that function on its own. Yes, you're creepy if you say this. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Paul's painting a more compelling vision for our lives. Paul's inviting us into a better story to live out. But I want to acknowledge something here. Church hurt is a very real thing. Church trauma is a real thing. Church abuse is a real thing. In fact, just if I can get vulnerable for a second, like virtually every pastor that I followed as a kid growing up is now mired in some kind of gross moral stuff. Right, We're seeing even, even the body of Christ when we are conformed to the patterns of this world and not being transformed and renewed in our thought processes, we see even the body of Christ come under attack. I just I think about how rampant sexual abuse and cover-up is in different denominations. I think about even just the ways in which generations are leaving the church and there's decline across all kinds of demographics. And to be honest, we can blame anybody that we want, right? We can blame any cultural boogeyman that we want. That's the flavor of the day. We can blame the left. We can blame the right. We can blame rioters. We can blame wokeness, Trump. Like, to be honest, I see deep issues with all of them. And yet, is our house in order? Is our house in order? Or are we too busy fighting with each other that we're missing out on how God is calling us to fight for each other, to fight for community, to fight for the person of Jesus being the foundation of this community? See, I think our problem is deeper than any cultural boogeyman. Not that those things aren't worth speaking to, not that those things don't matter or aren't important. I'm not saying that. But what I believe has happened in the American church is that we have settled for some kind of version of community that is built on something less than the person of Jesus. And when that happens, friends, the ground feels really shaky that we stand on. The church is the community where one person is helping another person discover what God is up to. And I have so much stinking hope for the church. I do. I do because I see what God is doing in you and in our community and what he's calling you into. Like if you want to hear God's voice in your individual life, it begins with how you are participating in the life of this community. Paul casts such a compelling vision for what it means to live in community as a church, to seek God's will in community in Romans 12 here. That to live in this community means that we are under the immediate and total rulership of the Holy Spirit, that we're blinded to all other loyalties by the splendor of God, that we're a compassionate community embodying the law of love as seen in the person of Jesus, that we are community that is in process of total transformation from the inside out, a people determined to live out the gospel in a hostile world that we are tenderly aggressive, meekly powerful, suffering and overcoming. So what does this community look like? 
Like, what does this type of community look like practically lived out with flesh and blood and bones and relationships? And what does this messy, kind of beautiful community built around Jesus actually look like lived out? Well, I am so glad you asked because the rest of this morning is going to be very practical. I want to give you some markers that Paul gives us for what this community looks like lived out. In fact, he spends the rest of this chapter in Romans 12 just giving us marker after marker. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. I'm not going to read them on the screen. What I'm going to do is summarize them for you today. But he basically just like, like everybody knows what a tweet is, right? Like the 140 characters or whatever it is. I think it's more than that now. But he basically just like tweets a bunch of like individual thoughts about what the community of the church that is seeking and pursuing God's will together looks like. He gives these, these kind of one-offs, and there's about 25 of them, where he just basically says, this is what it looks like when one person is helping another person in the church discover what God is up to. And I want to go through these. And your homework is to memorize all 25 of them. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. But here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to pay attention to as I read them, is not to memorize every single one of them. But here's what I want to encourage you to do, because this is really the part that pierced me to the core. My wife, I read this to her this past week, she goes, that's in the Bible? I was like, yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Um, and uh, I want you, as I read these, to just start to see the pattern of the type of person that Paul is inviting each part of the church to become. That there's a pattern that begins to emerge about what it means to be this type of person. So are you ready? No? no? One of us? Two? Are we ready? Okay, awesome. I love it. This is beautiful. Let's look at these. Number one, he says this, let your love be genuine. We're not interested in faking it. We're not interested in kind of the, the show of love or the generalized kind of costless love. We are interested in the kind of love that gets our hands dirty for the sake of each other. That even when we disagree, that because of Jesus, we can actually have healthy debate over those disagreements and come together under his name. We are not after a show. We are after genuine love for one another. Number two, hate evil. Cling to what is good. That as a Jesus community, we are unapologetically clinging to Jesus' moral vision for this world, which means that we lay down everything else in regards to that. We lay down our preferences. We lay down our sexualities. We lay down everything at the throne of Jesus' moral vision for the world. Do you want to know what his moral vision is? It's Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the best passages you could read in Scripture. Next one. Love one another like brothers and sisters. Love one another like brothers and sisters. Next one. Outdo one another in showing honor. We live in such a culture of dishonor where whoever can have the mic drop moment or tear each other down the most is the one that wins the day. And the church is that culture of people that actually lifts each other up and praises and appreciates each other. We don't seek honor for ourselves. Instead, we give honor to each other. Outdo one another in showing honor. Next one here. Don't be lazy. Do your part. <laughs> I love this one. Do your part. Like the church is not a spectator sport. It's not something you just come in and you consume and meet your needs. Like if you find a church that meets all your needs, leave. Go find a church that has needs of yours that are not being met and go meet those needs. 
right? Like, don't be lazy. Do your part. Contribute in a way that costs you something. Financially, talent-wise, resource-wise, invest in the lives of other people that is costly. Next one here. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, pour gas on each other's fire of calling and passion that sometimes I come into this place, I'm just being honest, and I feel tired, right? And I don't feel fervent in spirit. But you know what changes that for me? Being around all of you. That changes that for me. And that's the power of the church is that we actually can pour gas on each other's fire to bring that flame back to life and make us fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Next one here. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Next one here. Don't give up when things get hard. This is all Paul's language here, okay? These are just the the bullet points, the summaries. Don't give up when things get hard. Next one, we talked about this last week, be constant in prayer. Never stop praying for each other. Never stop praying for this community. Never stop praying for this body. Next one, meet each other's needs. If you see a need, meet a need. If you have a need, express that need. Meet each other's needs. Next one here, show hospitality. Instead of opening your browser or your Facebook app, open your dinner table. Open your home. Invite people in. Build community around tables and not around smartphones. Next one here. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Guys, we live in a culture of such hostility towards each other. The church is called to write out and live a different story with each other where new life becomes a graveyard for hate. Next one here. This is a famous one. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That there's no room for ego in the body of Christ. That we rejoice, that we build each other up, that when we see somebody else succeeding, we celebrate those successes. And when we see somebody hurting, we hurt with them and we grieve with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Next one, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Next one, don't be proud. Associate with the lowly. In other words, be as mindful as each other's worth as you are of your own. Associate with the people that our culture calls nobodies. Don't be proud. Associate with the lowly. Humility is an undergirding theme, an undergirding theme of this whole section of scripture that if we humble ourselves, we associate with exactly the type of people Jesus associated with because he associates with each of us. Next one. (laughs) This is my favorite one. Don't pursue wisdom in isolation. You are not a know-it-all. I'm sorry. Some of y'all think you're a know-it-all. Sometimes I think I'm a know-it-all. We are not know-it-alls. We don't know it all. We think we do. We live in a culture that likes to make us believe we do, but we don't. Discovering the will of God in our lives is a group project that takes each other. Next one, never repay evil with evil. We just have a couple more. I know there's a lot of them. Never repay evil with evil. Revenge is not a part of our culture. It's just not. If possible, live at peace with everyone. 
Plan and build your life around the benefit of other people. When you see the beauty in someone, speak it over them and to them. And then the last one here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, with Jesus as our center and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we can do this. We can. We can do this. Like, we're uniquely positioned to inject life into the Wayland community. We are uniquely positioned to inject life into each other and into this community. Can I give you an... I wasn't planning to talk about this, but I'm, I'm going to. Um, this might get me in trouble. We'll see. But I want you just to think about one of the single most divisive issues in our world right now, which is what? Abortion. Right? That's been over the entire news. And we have people on every end of the spectrum in that issue in this church, in this community. We do. And as I'm thinking about it, one of the things that I'm seeing most commonly around this issue, if I can just speak to this from an <laughs> unrehearsed place, there's two parts of this issue. One part we disagree on through and through and through, and that's the legal part of it, right? The legality of it, whether or not it should be legal. There's a debate for that. That can happen elsewhere. But then there's something that I think we agree on a lot in the church, a lot more than we think we do. That most of us, I would say, agree that we desire a world where abortion is far less necessary than it is right now. Where it just is unnecessary. And I believe this is the place where the church can live in a powerful way. You know we're already doing this as a church? Like we have an essential store, prov literally providing thousands of dollars in diapers to single moms, single dads, and families that may be in a crisis situation. We have so many families in our church who are entering into the space of foster care. And I get it. The foster system is a broken situation, a broken system. I'm living it. We are waiting three years on an adoption that should have taken one. I get it which is all the more reason why we need good people to run into broken situations, good communities to run into broken systems and do something about them. I think about our hand-to-hand -hand ministry that is serving kids and families that are navigating food insecurity on weekends. Like, guys, we are already living in a pro-whole-life space as a church, and I believe that is so what we are called to as a body. So the question that I want to just leave with today is how will I be someone who helps others discover what God is up to in this community? How will I be that person? How will I be someone who helps others discover what God is up to in this community? Here's the truth. The church needs what only you have to offer. Like when there are people who come into these doors who are bikers or ex-convicts or veterans navigating PTSD, they need what you offer. They need your experience. They need your background. They need things from you that I cannot offer them. When people come into our kids' ministry or come into a worship service, they need to see blue-collar and white-collar people. They need to see farmers and factory workers, business owners and teachers, people who can sing being utilized and people who can't sing like me being utilized, preferably not to sing. 
They need to see people willing to do whatever it takes for others to see what God is up to in this community, in this body. You know, we're praying as a church, and I want to invite Trent up because I'm out of time here, and he told me not to run late, but um, I want to invite Trent up as we close today. But we are praying through some pretty bold things right now as a church. One of the things that we're praying through, and I was hesitant as to whether or not to share this yet, but I want to invite you into the process of prayer, is we anticipate that we may have some space concerns and some issues coming into the fall. Obviously, that's not an issue today, but coming into the fall, we think we may have some space issues and concerns. Even the last few weeks, we've been tracking our parking lot. We have zero to one spaces available in our parking lot every service, as in the summertime, just so you're aware. And so one of the things that we're praying through is what it could look like for us as a church to have a Saturday service again. Now, we started as a Saturday night church. Some of you remember that. And as I, look at, as I look at our parking lot when I'm here on Saturday nights, it is full. It's full with people on their way to the hotel or McDuff's or the different bars here in town. And I believe new life could be, and we're still praying about this, but I believe, I believe new life could be uniquely positioned to catch people on their way to the bar as they come to a church service. But that takes all of us. And that's why I share this today. That takes all of us going to the Father. Our staff's praying through that right now. Our leadership's praying through that right now. I want to invite you to pray with that, through that with us. We don't have a, a solution or an answer yet about what we're doing. But I want to invite you to pray through that with us and just begin asking the question, how will I be the type of person who helps others discover what God is up to in this community, this place, this body, is my life just going to be marked by running to my tribe or running to my preference of choice? Or is it going to be marked by coming together in real flesh and blood and bone and messy relationship and building a community on the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? Guys, we can do this. So let me, as we close, offer a word of prayer. And then we're going to respond with a couple songs this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for the way in which you have been moving in this community. God, I just, uh, I come to you this morning and just say in the midst of a divided world, God, I pray that we will be a church that stands for human dignity, all human dignity and human life and human flourishing. God, I pray that as we gather together in worship and we bring our own baggage and we bring our own preferences and we bring our own agendas and we bring our own opinions, God, that we will be willing to lay those things down at the foot of your cross, at your throne, so that the world can see how powerful your gospel truly is when we come together under that banner. And so, God, we love you. And the only reason we love you is because your word says you first loved us. And so we pray all of this this morning in the holy and precious, precious and matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.